Welcome back to the BAT podcast. Howard and Alex here for what may be our last episode of the year. Alex, how are you? I'm doing well, man. It's good to see you uh, from across the country. Looks like you're uh, you're up in Hearst Tower, New York. How are things over there right now? It's going well. You know, I don't love this time of year when, when the sun goes down just after 4 p.m., but uh... Uh, but the city life makes up for it a bit. But uh, yeah, no, last uh, last one of the year, and and, and what a year it's been. Uh, I mean, you, you were you were telling me some some stats before we started recording, but uh, I think we did something like twenty thousand auctions this year. Um, uh, some of which were our, our our most popular of all time, going back six seven years. Uh, what can you tell us about kind of the year in review? Yeah, twenty over twenty thousand auctions, which is mind blowing to me, considering we've done. About 62,000 in what, seven, seven and a half years. Uh, we've done 60,000, uh, basically a third of those in the last 12 months is crazy to me. Uh, I've been here for five and a half years and I started at lot like 1400. So I've been around for 61,000 listings or something like that, which is just crazy to contemplate. Um, you know, we've been charging so hard this year. I don't know how it's, how it's felt for you hard, but sometimes it's hard for me to like take in these milestones. So I'm really having one of those, one of those moments where it's kind of all catching up to me here as we take stock at the end of the year. Yeah, no, when, when you're in the trenches, I agree. It can be hard to look back and, uh, and, and, and see what you've done. I mean, it, it's crazy in, in any, you know, growing business, uh, and for any of the listeners, whatever your, uh, kind of craft or, uh, uh or careers are um to look back right and and now in you know one quarter we we list more auctions than we did in the first three years and uh it's just it's just crazy to kind of uh look back and and uh do the math and and see uh you know what it felt like then versus what it what it feels like today um obviously that you can't do it without building a great team and and uh it's it's the people that make it all happen but uh yeah for, for those of us that have been here um, you know, since the early days of auctions, it's, uh, uh, it's crazy, man. So, uh, yeah, I think maybe we'll plan, maybe the first ep of, of 2022 will be maybe a more, uh, in-depth review of, uh, of 2021 and, and some of the awesome and crazy stuff, uh, that we've done. For sure. I mean, we'll be doing the awards then we can talk about those a little bit, best auction of the year, best photo gallery of the year, um, all that kind of stuff, best commenter award. That's always a popular one. So maybe we can do that and review a little bit. I will say just kind of reminisce. Now you got me reminiscing a little bit, thinking about you and and Zach and Randy and I sitting in that sitting in that room, you know, five plus years ago. Um, I, the anecdote I always think about is is Randy being so excited after I'd been on the job for a few months of us getting to forty auctions a week. That was when I think we started adding Friday auctions. We had three days, then four days, and then we went to to Friday forty a week. I remember him being so pumped up and now we do double that many every day. It's, um, it's wild. And to your point, of course, it's the team that makes it all possible, but, um, but it does, it's been, a, it's been a journey. I looked like a lot. I looked like a much younger man five years ago, Howard. Oh man. I remember in the, yeah, the first year we would, uh, you know, we started auctions only on Wednesdays. Then we did Tuesdays and Thursdays then Mondays then Fridays. And uh, for, for the first few months, uh, I guess the number of auctions we did each week was notable. And we do weekly site post of now we're at five a week. Now we're at 10 a week. Now we're at 12 a week. And I remember uh, we went to 15 a week and, and, you know, Randy being the, 
the hard charger that he is kind of posted this 15 a week, which at the time was we would, were doing like 12 a week. And, uh, and you were solo, were you solo crew? You were the entire auction staff, right? It was a solo point. crew. And uh, so I remember I was kind of pissed when I read this site post and uh, looking back, <laughs> it seems so ridiculous. Right. But I said, Randy, what are you doing, man? We didn't talk about 15 a week and now you published it. Now we got to do it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just uh, hilarious to me to uh, uh, yeah, take that trip down memory lane and, and think about, you know, the output and, and uh, like I said, how it felt then versus uh, what we're doing now. But uh, I remember that I, I was all miffed at, at 15 a week. You didn't even call me, didn't text me, but, but uh, sure enough, we were able to, uh, to deliver on the 15 a week and then uh, on from there. Man, it's, I mean, that's crazy. We, we saw 550, I think we got up to about 550 a week um, this year, which is crazy. And we're going to eclipse that next year. I, I, um, what, so one of the things I was thinking about in ret retrospect for this year was, you know, we've had, I think, four of our 10 most popular listings of all time were in this year, uh, including that Capistrano trailer that everyone got so fired up about. That's our most popular of all time, that restored kind of Art Deco uh, trailer. But also a couple of interesting um, uh, JDM cars, a 22B Subaru and also um, a Midnight Purple Skyline R34. Uh, both here uh, under show or display uh, uh, rules, but those were some of the most popular this year. What do you remember from the early days being like the big highlights from, from when you were solo crew? Do you remember what auctions like generated a lot of interest back in the day, similar or different than, than seven years later? Yeah. I mean, in the first few months, it was just like, wow, there's, you know, I just remember it be like every bid was a big deal, right? When, when you only have five auctions and, and uh, you know, a, a, a growing bidder base, which, which was, you know, many magnitudes lower than it is today. Uh, you know, every bid coming, every, every bid shine, we would be, you know, eating our sandwiches in the old office and uh, literally watching, you know, every bid of every auction close. And, and it was only 10 auctions, right? So it, uh, it didn't take that long. But um, yeah, certainly in the early days, you know, the, the bigger cars, um, you know, if we sold a $100,000 car, that was, a, that was a big deal. I remember our first, uh, maybe the most notable that, I, that stands out to me, we sold a kind of a uh, Porsche Speedster project for, for, I think, 300 grand. And uh, I think at the time that was maybe our most expensive car we had ever sold. And the red one, um, I remember, I remember yeah. watching that as a fan of BAT before I worked there. I remember that car very well. That was a big deal. People were excited. Yeah. So you remember those kind of seminal moments and, and, uh, and then right now, now we've listed, you know, 50 Speedsters and, and uh, you know, not that it's no longer a big deal, but certainly any, any first, um, uh, you know, stand out to me. Um, man, so I was uh, yeah, here in New York. I got invited uh, this past week to attend uh, a lunch here in the city, which was put on by uh, the Madison Avenue Sports Car Club, kind of colloquially known as the Chowder Society. Uh, East Coast listeners may be familiar with that. Uh, it's a cool, cool group. This has been, they've been around since 1957. Um, so it's kind of this really old school, longstanding uh, East Coast uh, group that uh, just has a great attitude. This was kind of their, I think they, uh, in non-COVID times, get together every month for lunch uh, at an old-time place called Sardi's in, in New York, uh, both New York and, and Seinfeld listeners. Sardi's is, uh, is something that, that comes up. But um, anyways, this was their kind of annual holiday lunch. I got invited by a, a BAT member and friend of mine and uh, was thankful to attend. Uh, it was pretty cool, Alex. There was a lot of uh, kind of 
really awesome East Coast car people there. Uh, Skip Barber uh, was there. He is very alive and well. Um, <laughs> they had uh, Ed Wilburn, the, the previous head of global design for General Motors. Oh, wow. Um, so he had the job that uh, Harley Earl and Bill Mitchell had, albeit many, many decades later. Um, so he's, you know, a super impressive guy. He uh, said a few words and uh, it was cool to hear, uh, hear him speak. Uh, yeah, as, a, as, a, as a West Coaster, when I imagine kind of East Coast sports car clubs that go back to the 50s, I, I picture, you know, old time SECA guys who are, you know, maybe driving their, uh, driving their, their Allards or their, you know, their, their, um, uh, their, you know, MGTCs or something, you know, and hanging out in kind of Tony old world uh, overstuffed banquet restaurants in, in Manhattan. And I, I hope that there was a little bit of that vibe still left around. It has that, has that feel to it. Yeah, definitely. And this, uh, this chowder society group, I mean, uh, you know, back in the day, it was people like Luigi Canetti and, and Max Hoffman and, um, you know, I think one of the founding members was was Walter Cronkite, the the, the TV anchor who who some people don't realize was a, a huge uh, sports car fan and, and actually drove a a Sprite or a Healy in 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 Sebring in '57 or '58. Could, could maybe Crosley was he even Crosley racing a Crosley or maybe it was maybe it was a, a Sprite maybe a little. Yeah, bit I mean, he raced a bunch of stuff, so it, it's okay. quite possible uh, he was he was running Crosleys too. Um, kind of the, the unofficial uh, kind of featured guest was was Bill Warner, uh, who's a great guy, kind of uh, all around motoring impresario and the, the, the founder and chairman of the Amelia Island Concours. Um, so he got up and was doing, uh, uh, they had a number of people get up and it's this very tongue in cheek, people doing kind of roasts and skits and, and all sorts oh, there's of- There's a little stage, there's a little stage and people are, are giving each other shit. Yeah, all sorts of all sorts of funny stuff like that. But uh, they had like a little mini Q and A with with Warner, and and someone asked him about you know his favorite racing or car memory, um, and he uh, and I had forgotten about this. He said he had run uh, a 1990 uh, Firebird at uh, the Daytona Classic uh, two or three years ago, and it was a car he bought on on Bring a Trailer with uh, a group of friends of his that were going to go run. Daytona and he finished second in class. He bought this thing on BAT for 15 grand. Um, and he was running with, you know, uh, Porsches and, and prototypes and, and, you know, two frame race cars. Um, and uh, we, we'll post it in the link to this podcast, but he sent us a kind of a success story and photos of him at Daytona, the car on track and uh, him running around and, and, you know, giving the big boys a, a run for their money uh, in, in what wasn't the necessarily the, the uh, fastest car, but was, was certainly the cheapest car. Um, and he, he told that story to the group. And so I went up to him afterward and, and, uh, we had a good, we had a good laugh. That's awesome, man. That's a, that's a cool event too. I, I think running events like that in, in uh, kind of pedestrian or a little bit more pedestrian car, seems like it would be an awful lot of fun. Uh, do, is it, um, do you know much about that event? Do they run it? Um, do they run the, like a, a full kind of enduro, uh, enduro, um, uh, length for it? I've never been to it, but but I believe it runs for for most of the day and night, and I think they do hour races. So it's it's not it's not one group running twenty four hours, um, but of course, but um, they have like any uh, you know vintage event. They have what nine, ten, or eleven classes, and and they get uh, races, and and but they schedule them. I mean, I think there's a race that you know the green flag drops at midnight. So um, no, it was uh, it was pretty good. Uh, 
what, what is it? What are they saying is uh, in his success story? We were certainly not the fastest nor the slowest, but defiantly the cheapest. Uh, <laughs> and they had a little bumper sticker on the car for the event uh, that read, "My car costs less than your tires," which is probably true. That's awesome. Um, so that was pretty that good. Was awesome. I've been uh, I've been all fired up on endurance racing again recently. I my uh, I watched the. Um, after so many suggestions, I finally got around to watching the um, Netflix uh, Formula One show, which is really amazing, Drive to Survive. Uh, ripped through it, really enjoyed it. Even my wife liked it, which, I mean, she couldn't care less about cars and she really enjoyed it because it's just so well done. Um, and then I recently, and like Formula One is interesting to me, but I'm a sports car guy through and through. And I recently stumbled across, um, I don't know if you know about this, Howard, uh, on YouTube, there's a, a three or four season long series about Michael Fassbender, the actor racing Porsche endurance cars. He drives a, um, I think it's an RSR. It's the 911. It's like mid engine. And he's on doing like European, like um, European uh, Le Mans series. Um, and it's really well done. I think it's actually produced by Porsche. They're like 15 minute episodes. You can watch them on YouTube. And he's been for years kind of working working up to speed doing european endurance racing and his whole goal is to race at le mans and it's really really entertaining and done in kind of a similar style to that formula one show but you can watch it for free on youtube and it was really awesome and kind of got me all jazzed up again about driver changes and you know long-term endurance strategy um Taylor, so are, you, you, are you binging drive to survive is that your is that your your plan this weekend Watch the whole thing, and now the now the Fastbender show. Now I'm now I'm hungry for another uh, for another good, uh, high budget uh, racing reality show. I don't know if there's another one out there, but yeah, interestingly, there was a lot of yeah a lot of racers at this thing, and and they, uh, the the conversation at this lunch uh, kind of turned to the uh, uh, the current uh, F1 uh, controversy and and people's thoughts on the first stop in Hamilton. Uh, race and and the what transpired in the final laps of uh, of Abu Dhabi, um, uh, so I'm sure I'm sure our listeners are uh, many of more F1 fans and, and have an opinion on that. But uh, no, it got pretty deep. They had Judy Strophis coming up and and uh, uh, the lady that ran the the all female team team at the Indy 500 a few years ago is there. So they brought her up and as kind of a uh, pro racing expert who is super familiar with you know, all the ins and outs of, of what race control was calling, uh, you know, minute by minute. And, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty neat. Um, I was like, you, you got some, you got some legit bench racing in there, which sounds good. That's my favorite kind. Uh, it's easier. It's, I enjoy more uh, talking and thinking about racing. Uh, it's been a long time since I've actually been in a race car. And I, uh, if I search through the, through my, um, through my memories, I, I think actually doing it ends up being a little bit tougher and more stressful than, than thinking about it and watching it on TV. So maybe that's the best way to experience it. In the, in the what was the name of the restaurant? Uh, well, it's, it's typically at Sardi's, which is not open yet. So they added a place called uh, a steakhouse called uh, Smith and Walensky. Um, okay. well, I, I, hope it was, I hope it still felt properly old world with, uh, with waiters and bow ties and all that. Certainly, absolutely. Um, so we got a few uh, cool uh, cars on the site, Alex, that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, man, I mean, I mean, we've talked about how the you know the the car market is is definitely strong. We had some uh, two really standout results for for special uh, late model sports cars. Uh, one was that 2011 uh, GT3 RS four liter, uh, which had 2,000 miles, was a white car that. 
uh, sold for 675,000, which I thought was a, uh, a really headline result. Um, super special car. They, they don't come to market that often, but um, that was definitely something that caught my eye. And uh, also a white car a few years later, a 458 Speciale. Uh, we actually launched a, a yellow one that went live today. So I'm interested to see how that one does. Um, but a white a 458 Speciale did, did uh, 600 grand. So uh, two, two super special cars, right? And uh, it's no wonder that they're commanding big prices, but uh, th those, those definitely uh, stood out to me. And kind of, um, kind of similar things, right? Like the, the ultimate evolution of their, of their chassis in both cases. Um, I, uh, I know that a lot of people um, uh, say that the four liter 997 GT3 is like, that's the one, that's the GT3. Uh, I have probably, goes without saying, have never driven one or even been uh, close to one. I don't think I've ever even seen one in person. Um, but uh, a colleague of ours did have a 997.2 GT3 uh, that was amazing to drive and was a wild car. So I can only imagine what more power and a little bit more displacement uh, feels like in that kind of car. Still a manual transmission there. 458 Speciale is not, presumably. I would imagine it's a paddle shift of some kind. Yeah, correct. Which one, uh, which one gets you more excited, Howard? Uh, probably the Porsche for me, um, though, you know, I, I'd be very happy with just a, with just a plain Jane GT3, uh, you know, uh, I, I always love the 07, 08 uh, GT3 RSs, mostly because I like I like the orange uh, or or green. Yeah. Um, no wonder those also are on are on a big uh, upswing. makes makes a lot of sense in hindsight. But uh, yeah, that that probably be my pick for for late model 911. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I I like the. I just I like the idea of a little bit more of a of an analog simple car. Although I'm sure the four five eight is a delight to drive. I feel like I've read that many times in magazines. But uh, but yeah, the 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 nine nine seven GT three is is really uh, an amazing car. Uh, another, if you don't mind me going, uh, uh, mentioning one other car that's kind of in the the upper price range that I was really excited about, uh, Howard. It was the um, uh, ended that same day as the uh, as the um, uh, GT three four point was a low mileage 89 911 turbo cabriolet in a very unique beige color did you the see apricot that? the apricot car totally yeah uh low mile 89 of course the only year that a five speed came in the uh in the 930 and a cabriolet to boot and then this yeah it was it called apricot it looked like kind of like a palomino or a beige color to me um with color matched wheels and then like a tobacco interior uh, almost like a like a 60s or a 70s color combo, but in a five-speed 930 Cabriolet. I really, really like that car. Sold for around 200 grand, I think. Although it was no reserve, no reserve auction. I thought that was another cool result on a really unique car. Probably not ever going to find another another car quite like that one. Yeah, the, the color is called Apricot Beige. Honestly, uh, this actually came through our, our uh, white glove uh, department, uh, I believe. And uh, so I, I had an advanced look at it and I was not even aware this color existed. And, and I'm sure that at least some of uh, uh, the community shared that uh, mystery as me, but uh, yeah, certainly, I mean, the 89, 89 turbo cab is, is a special car uh, in and of itself, but uh, uh, the color on this one is, uh, is definitely quite, uh, quite a notable option. Yeah, I'm, I'm way into it. I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of years ago, when we had that barbecue at Monterey during car week, um, at, uh, 
God, what was that facility called? Steve Cottrell worked there, and I think it was uh, uh, Lauber's place. You, you yep. remember that event? Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, there was a 930 coupe there in a like a Palomino color, like really similar color combination, but a coupe. And that, I still think about that car all the time. And this is, this is the closest thing I've ever seen come up for sale. Um, normally, I'm not a Cabriolet guy, but I feel like this one is undeniable. Uh, probably the most outrageous car we have on the site, which is just an, just an insane vehicle uh, in its own right, is uh, the G63 uh, 6x6. Um, would encourage people to check that out. We've listed, I think, one or two of these before. This particular one has the Brabus package, um, but this is that uh, th uh, three-axle, uh, six-wheeled contraption. Um, that is made by what made in Austria by what Steyr. Uh, they made a hundred or so of them. Um, but this thing is, is just one of the wackiest, I mean, late model cars ever produced. Um, I get it. I sort of get it. I sort of don't. Um, but that's not the point. Uh, this is a, a car that is only able to be here uh, under a show or display exemption. Um, and we can chat a little bit about uh, show or display. Uh, we are fortunate to have a, a direct line and, and relationship with, with NHTSA, um, who kind of uh, governs the, uh, the show or display rules, and uh, who are, are cool people, who are uh, huge car enthusiasts there, active uh, followers of Bring a Trailer. Um, and I think our relationship uh, with them, Alex, was uh, brought about by the first 6x6 six six we listed, um, and they reached out just making sure we were uh, kind of crossing our T's and dotting our I's with um, with how we go about listing uh, cars that, that can only be here under show or display. I, I know you, you, you chat with them uh, sometimes just, uh, 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 you know, shooting the breeze, not even, not even uh, uh, business related. Your yeah, brother, they, yeah, we've got a great relationship with them and they've been really awesome to work with. Um, I will say when you first hear from them, when you're listing a show or display vehicle, it's like a little bit like, oh my God, here comes the DOT. Uh, NHTSA is a department of national Highway Transportation Safety Administration is obviously a, is a, a subset of the Department of Transportation. So hearing from them that first time led to some internal panic, but they actually just wanted um, uh, folks who were bidding on that first six by six we had uh, to be clear that they would have to apply for their own uh, shore display exemption for the truck um, uh, before they like completed the purchase. And so um, that uh, first contact we had with them has led to us really kind of being able to dive into what show or display is. Uh, I always thought it was called show and display. It's actually show or display. And this is for uh, the, an exemption. One of the ways you can have a car uh, in the United States before it is 25 years old and exempt for importation rules. It's one of the ways you can have them here before uh, the vehicle is 25 years old, even though it was not built for the U.S. market and doesn't conform necessarily to all of our safety regulations. So you have to have an importer uh, convert it so that it can pass, uh, you know, EPA regulations, um, and you have to have it imported officially. You get an accept an exemption letter from uh, from NHTSA, which uh, the uh, previous owner of um, uh, both six by sixes did. And then uh, we put a disclaimer on any car that is being auctioned on um, bring a trailer under the show or display rules, uh, stating uh, kind of all the things that the DOT wants people to know um, before they purchase the car. The big one being 
if you're a new owner, you've got to get your own show or display exemption. You have to actually do it before uh, you complete the transaction. So they want to know that the vehicle is being sold for obvious reasons. Um, uh, but other than that, it's gone pretty smoothly. The, the seller of the, um, of the six by six got a, a show or display exemption and the new owner will do, uh, do the same. Um, and I think I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the two of those really popular JDM imports we had this year, that 22B Impreza and the um, uh, Midnight Purple Skyline R34, both were also here and under show or display. And Howard adds value, right? I mean, you get to be one of the only kids on the block with a car, uh, you know, that may be more common elsewhere, but when you've got it here under show or display, which also limits number of miles you can drive it, I think it's 2,500 miles a year, but um, you know, there's an added value there by through the kind of exclusivity of having one of those cars here, wouldn't you say? Uh, absolutely. I, I think uh, the origins of that exemption go back to, to the Porsche 959 and, and, and Bill Gates and, and Paul Allen being car enthusiasts and, and having a great interest in, in some of these uh, supercars that weren't produced in the U.S. and, and uh, kind of lobbying the, uh, uh, the government and, and the DOT to, uh, to make an exception, which they were successful in doing. But yeah, uh, R34 Skylines. Uh, what do we have, Alex? We had that... Uh, uh, CLK DTM AMG, right? Yes. That was a show display car. Yep. Um, we, we had, had a, a couple of Zagato, Zagato bodied Astons. I think we had a couple of those that were not sold here in the United States. Um, yep. Uh, 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 Jag XJ220, which is, which is now 25 years old, uh, which, which would, uh, uh, make it not, not needed, uh, uh for the show display status. But, um, Anyways, we've had a number of these now, and and uh, and we've had really uh, so now we have a kind of a, a great process and and language that NHTSA has approved and that we work with them on. And um, yeah, they were telling you guys, but they're, they're following along in the comments. And uh, I mean, and, and primarily because they have a great interest in the stuff we list, and uh, they think cars are cool. But but you know, their day job is is obviously monitoring uh, some of that stuff. And what I think, I think their primary concern is what Alex, uh, cars coming in fr from Canada specifically that, that are not legal yeah. or, or what have they told you? Yeah, they've said that the, the main thing they're kind of concerned about, about is, um, uh, is importation from Canada, cars coming across the border, obviously a lot of similarities between Canadian motor vehicle standards and American motor vehicle standards. And so uh, cars kind of coming across the border uh, looking like they would be uh, legal in the United States, but not being legal here. And some maybe fly-by-night importers who are uh, not filling out paperwork properly or not even um, not even really, you know, kind of doing any of the things they're supposed to do. Again, like I said, you're supposed to, uh, when you bring a car in that's not 25 years old, you um, have to have a, a registered importer do it, somebody who's registered with the DOT. And you also need... Um, you know, to make sure that that car will comply with all of the American uh, emission standards and crash standards, um, which uh, oftentimes, and we've seen this quite a few times on BAT too, involves getting a letter straight from the manufacturer, right? If you want to bring a car in, uh, remember you, Howard, uh, and I were dealing with that GTV, that second generation GTV Alpha, the four headlight car, the front wheel drive car with that seller who I think you knew, and we had, he had to get a letter from Alfa Romeo in Italy to say like, yes, this car meets American um, meets American crash standards in order to like have it uh, be here before it was 25 years old. So uh, yeah, they're primarily concerned about cars kind of being brought in around those rules or importers saying that the car meets requirements when it doesn't. And so uh, we are really careful about that at Bring a Trailer. We don't have any interest in, you know, selling cars that are, are shady or kind of were brought in under improper circumstances. That doesn't doesn't benefit us and it certainly doesn't benefit people utilizing our marketplace. Uh, we don't wanna pass along a car to a buyer 
on our website if that buyer is going to have problems getting the car titled or have problems with the government. That doesn't benefit anyone. So, no, look, and, 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 you know, on a platform like, like bring a trailer with, with such a huge audience and exposure and, and when, when you're selling these types of cars, I mean, you, you have to do it the right way. And, and, uh, and the, the NHTSA, NHTSA men and women have been a pleasure to work with, but um, you don't really have a choice. I mean, if, if you want to do this stuff in, in, in today's day and age, you know, you need to do it the right way. And um, I think it's a huge, hugely valuable to us and, and to, to, uh, you know, prospective bidders on the car that that we're doing it the right way, and that you know we're we're getting the letter and all that. I, you know, the 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 G sixty three is a late model car, right? Twenty fourteen. Uh, I think G and K Automotive is kind of the leading uh, conversion shop that that federalizes those. But you mentioned that that nineties uh, GTV. I mean, a lot of uh, but a lot of these shops, right, for cars that were federalized thirty years ago, like a number of them, you know, aren't in business anymore, right? They folded up in in the nineties or two thousand. So uh, for some cars needing to you know, for example, contact or get a letter from the original uh, 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 conversion shop, that ain't possible in a number of cases. Yeah. So it, it can complicate matters um, for some of the older stuff, but uh, for something like a six by six or, or these later model cars, uh, you know, the, uh, the outfits are still around. From what I understand, it was quite a bit more Wild West during the gray market era. Uh, I used to work on a couple of gray market Porsches that were brought in in the eighties. And we certainly sell lots of cars that came in during that era. It's is, to the best of my understanding, it's not exactly clear when that ended, but around 1990 is when uh, kind of gray market um, era ends. And I actually love seeing 80s cars, uh, often European cars, Mercedes, BMWs, Porsches with those period import uh, plates there in the door jam down next to the manufacturer plate says who who federalized it, who who made it so that it could pass smog. And then seeing those old, we love when there's the kind of document documentation to back it up as well. You see those old uh, letters from the EPA in 1984, you know, to the owner that brought it in and, and, and saying, Hey, your car passes smog. Now you're all good to go. I, I think that kind of stuff is cool. It doesn't, doesn't matter now, now that the cars are 35, even 40 years old, but it's, um, it's really cool to see. And it's just a kind of a cool to me adds kind of interesting historical value to a car that came in, you know, in that period. Uh, no, I, I had a, a 80, 84 uh, Renault R5 Turbo 2 uh, with a great history file that included all of that. The uh, uh, Sun Industries, for people listening who remember, remember then, who did a lot of the, the R5 Turbo uh, federalization, uh, the EPA docs, right? The the 14 day one way permit so the guy could drive it, you know, from one from one deal to another to, to uh, get everything you needed for, for the final approval. Um, th those docks are harder and harder to find on the older cars, but but some uh, some savvy owners have, have kept those those uh, docks in place. And uh, I, I thought it was neat to thumb through it. Uh, the other interesting thing that surfaced in the comments on the six by six was it was previously owned by uh, Dan Belzerian. Um, who's kind of an Instagram hero and former professional poker player who lives a wild and crazy life. And um, uh, one of his interests is, is cars. He, he did a deal uh, with who? With uh, that movie producer, Tom Goldstein. Some may remember they, they drag raced uh, a 458 versus Dan's uh, like CS, CSX continuation Cobra. So he's done some, uh, some wacky car stuff, but um, I mean, there, I mean, how many, there's only so many six by six, white six by six Brabus cars around. So uh, if you were a high profile owner of one, it's, it's probably not hard to trace it back, but. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know that guy as well as you do Howard, but you've showed me some of his posts. It seems like the white Brabus six by six is like a perfect encapsulation of his lifestyle. Fits right in, seems like it would. 
yeah, so people are, are surfacing all sorts of, uh, of funny stuff, but um, yeah, let's see that that, that auction ends uh, ends in seven days. Uh, uh, bids at a million bucks, uh, probably the most outrageous thing you can buy on four or six wheels. So uh, we'll be interested to see where that ends up. Uh, another one that I uh, was kind of blown away by, speaking of kind of big numbers and cars that that blew my mind, Howard, uh, was that um, green low mile uh, Murcielago uh, uh, six speed that sold, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Um, car went crazy. It sold for over five hundred grand, I think, which kind of blew my mind. Um, although I was, I kept coming back to the listing because it's such a good looking car, um, especially when they have their kind of wings in, they're really clean, which is not something you always, um, not a word you always used to describe Lamborghini styling, um, really pretty car, manual transmission, a pretty rare color. Um, I don't know if you noticed that one or not, but that, that result kind of blew my mind and I really like that car as well. Yeah, and incidentally, we now have another six-speed uh, Murcielago live that, that's no reserve. So, so uh, we'll see what that one does, but uh, yeah, this is one of those cars, man, right? This was, you know, Three, four years ago, this was kind of just a used exotic car, um, but it was in a great color. What, what do they call it? Verde Ithaca, I think. Um, a lot of the Murcielagos were, were e-gear, automatic or e-gear, I guess they called it. Um, so yeah, just, just uh, I think one of these cars that people are kind of rediscovering. This was a great spec and a great color and, and you know, brought a, an impressive result. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a lot of those kind of early mid 2000s kind of last of the analog yep. uh, uh, versions of a lot of these cars that that are really capturing people's attention it's like what we were talking about with the with that gt3 four liter which manual transmission still i think the 991 gt3 as i recall goes to a, a paddle gearbox as well so if you want the last of the era and i think correct me if i'm wrong howard but i think that's the same v12 that goes all the way back to the miura i think that's got its roots all the way back so in some ways it's kind of got lineage going back to the um back to the first lamborghinis which is cool i guess all the way back to the 350 gt i think it's the same engine all the way through could be could be it might be a stretch they lineage and roots i'll i'll I'll, uh, I'll get on board with that not like it's running weber carburetors in the murcielago uh, uh, anything good, else? Alex. What, sorry what else you got oh i was going to ask you if there's anything else that got you excited recently i love talking about some of these results Oh man, well yeah, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the uh, uh, the Cord L29 that we had that sold. That was a few weeks back now. Um, maybe maybe me and Alex is certainly in our top three of favorite pre-order cars. Uh, so I, I was proud to see that one go. I love that. Any any uh, any big pre-war result gets me excited. We actually have a pre. I don't know if you know this, Howard. We added a pre-war category, so you can actually search our website by pre-war now you can just see all the, the not only the the pre-war cars that are live but also the results as well which is pretty awesome i did and see that we, we we roll out new new model page model pages every month uh it's amazing we've done hundreds of them and, and we have many hundreds more to go um but but yeah model pages are, are a great way to uh, organize data and, and have uh you know really really rich and organized information all, all in one easy to find place and uh, we do it both for specific models, but also more for, for broader categories like pre-war and motorcycles and, uh, and stuff like that. Yep. Yes, indeed. Hot rods. We just added military vehicles. Did that. That was a little uh, Veterans Day, a uh, little Armistice Day, Veterans Day treat was to add the military vehicles category. Lots of good military vehicles on BAT, which is another one that gets me excited. 
Very good, Alex. Well, this has been, uh, what have we done? 37, 37-ish episodes this year. Uh, we got some stuff in the works to try to make uh, the BAT podcast better uh, in 2022. Um, so if we don't see you all uh, this year, we will be back the first week of January. Thanks for having me, Howard. This was fun. Thanks for everyone uh, for listening to us this year and uh, email us with your with your holiday wishes and good cheer. We're, we're, we're loving your questions that are coming through every week um, and see you all in the new year.